Scott Reed is here, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin, now all ours as a News Talk 1010 and CTV analyst. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Like a razor? That's like your go-to reference point? Oh, yeah, like a razor. You know, like, um, like you know, hot English duo from... 1981. Like That's yeah. kind of an obscure reference, isn't it? It is, actually. I was just trying to come up with a band off the top of my head because he doesn't do Erasure, but I happen to be a fan of Erasure, and uh, you and I are of a similar vintage. So, you know, um, in the so early 1980s... So let's get a six-pack of beer and hit the the-the some night. <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, let's hit on this mayor's poll. I don't know if you invest a lot in a poll like this, but I think in a field that is impossible to read, like I don't know who the mayor is going to be on the 27th of June. Um, any poll is kind of interesting, and Olivia Chow continues to be the front runner. Yeah, I, I'm going to warn people as a professional political wank about what you can and what you can't take away from this poll. So what you can take away from this poll is the headline, is that Olivia Chow is, you know, the central organizing principle of this campaign. She's clearly in the lead, and that's going to have implications for the next handful of weeks until we get to June 26. What you can take away from this poll um, is, oh, so, you know, Josh Matlow's at whatever it was, 16%, somebody else at 15%, like these very thin measurements of 1% apart. Like you've got like five candidates that are somewhere between like 12 and 20 or whatever. And so you got to be very, very careful with that sort of stuff, especially when you're doing IVR um, as a methodology. It's, it's, you just got to be really careful about that. But what it does tell us is that she is on her way. And right now there's, um, there's going to have to be some tough decisions by other candidates. They're going to decide how hard they're going to go after her. They're going to have to decide, do I drop out and throw my support to somebody else in order to stop her? Am I content with her winning? And therefore I'm going to start to, um, combat her with uh, soft gloves so that she sees that I'm actually a helpful stocking horse. Like all those kinds of decisions have got to be made because right now, the only thing that's clear is that she's in the lead and that uninterrupted she'll become mayor. And so the others are going to have to actually get over themselves, stop believing they're in some campaign where they themselves are competitive for first place that they're moving. Nobody else is really moving. And so uh, to me, I think now it gets interesting. Well, and another interesting aspect in all of this, I keep saying that we could end up with an accidental mayor because, you know, I look at the list of candidates. There's probably about four that I could be very comfortable in voting for, and I could end up completely wasting my vote. Well, I think one of the things that has to happen is there's going to be an unofficial primary now. And by that, I mean, there's going to be a contest among those who are not Olivia Chow. Among that sort of, you know, if you say there's like six or seven that have a shot, among the six or seven, there's going to be an unofficial primary to see who emerges as the un-Olivia. Because that's that's one of the things that you will need if she's going to be stopped. If the field continues to be a bunch of people um, and her, then she'll win. But if one challenger can emerge from that pack, then she might not win. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch because if you're going by the numbers, so to speak, um, and again, I caution about those, you'd say, well, it's Mark Saunders, you know, except like, is Mark Saunders seriously going to be able to 
go through the gauntlet of scrutiny of his record as police chief. Um, I think if you look at it, you come to the conclusion that maybe that guy's not qualified to be mayor. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. Can one of the others emerge? Does Josh Matlow, is he too center left in order or too annoying, frankly, to do it? It's going to be interesting. So I, I that's what I'm watching for is can one of the others emerge to become the number one heavyweight contender? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's going to be a few more weeks. Uh, any special thoughts? I know you don't necessarily root for them, but uh, the Leafs were booted out on Friday night. Well, first, I want to say I was listening to you guys earlier, and I also, uh, as a child, not now, but as a child, I would listen to the Expos games, those great Gary Carter, yeah. Tim Raines, Expos teams. I would listen to them by radio and score the games as a kid. That's how obsessed I became with them. So, yes, Jerry's a freak, but he's not a freak for doing that. So let's <laughs> let's not rain on him too okay. hard. Um, I, you know, I think the team's got to be blown up. It reminds me of the 85 Jays, when the Jays, 85, 87, when they had those great teams – and you're like, we have all the components and we should be winning the championship. But they couldn't get there. And Gillick had, uh, and Pat Beeston, they had the courage to blow those teams up and say, we're going to, we're going to actually, we're just not, we can't seem to get over the hump. So we've got to make some moves and we got to make some moves from our big players. I personally, and I know contracts are what they are, I would keep Dubas. I think he's proven to be a good GM. He's bought them all the right pieces. But I think I would. I would blow up the team. I would definitely, uh, I'd move on from Matthews. I think Marner's a guy that can plug into a lot of systems. He's so versatile. He can score. He's an unbelievable, ma magical playmaker. Um, so I th I think I'd let Matthews go as big a player as he is and as important a scorer as he is and try to rebuild around uh, that. I'm still not convinced on goaltending. I'm glad to see that kid showed up, but, you know, that. <laughs> That could last till October. Uh, so I think they've still got to figure that piece out. And uh, they got to get shipped. They got to take Hall and they got to put him on a train to the moon because he can never play in uh, Toronto again after that playoff series. Okay. Uh, John Ibbotson writing for the Globe and Mail, and he tends to be a bit of a cheerleader for the Conservatives. But his column effectively says Pierre Polyev is in the waiting room to become prime minister. Do you agree? Every piece of objective evidence suggests that Pierre Polyev will become the next prime minister. But there's one big factor, and that's Pierre Polyev. So governments don't get elected to four consecutive terms. That's only happened twice in our history. So that's, that's a tall order for Trudeau. And Trudeau has gained all these bumps and bruises. Now, he's no longer the fresh, exciting change candidate of 2015. Um, he's an incumbent prime minister. He's going to have to learn how to win ugly. The reason I say that Pierre Polyev is the biggest problem for Pierre Polyev is that he has flirted with extreme audiences. <clears throat> and he is, and this I think is critical, he is so unyielding. And the lesson he's learned from the last couple of elections is don't be wishy-washy. Don't be a don't be a weather vane conservative. Don't say you're one thing and then, you know, under pressure become something else. And that means that you can use that to your advantage because he will not blink. He would ride straight into the fire if he thought that it meant he was being called a coward. And I think his opponents can use that to his advantage. So I would say go negative on Pierre Polyev. I don't know why they haven't. Run ads, pound away on him, walk him into traps, 
tease him, antagonize him, have a designated hitter who's always at his events, somebody who's a good political animal who can be dogging him and bugging him. And I think maybe you could bring out the worst side in him. But right now, unless the economy turns around, the liberals are in trouble. That's just the objective truth. All right. And almost no time left on the clock. But uh, I was talking about this profile of how they negotiated the deal with Volkswagen. And as I was saying, you know, it's either a great political coup or a, a massive sellout. I'll set that debate aside. I want to say something else. This is also a lesson about journalism. This is what we call a TikTok story. The writers involved are great, but what it happens is you overwhelmingly rely on one source and then you ask the people who were involved to tell us what happened and they glorify themselves this story about champagne calling people up and then suddenly it's the chemistry between me and them they were going to locate somewhere else you know why they located here 14 billion dollars that's why they located here so it's a wonderful piece i'm sure the champagne worked really hard but he tells a story everywhere about how the only reason people are locating in canada is because he's digging up their phone numbers and showing up at their summer homes and uh banging on their window uh and uh, during thanksgiving dinner and you know it's nice to have this idea of the hustling you know energetic minister but they came here because of money let's not fool ourselves thank you sir good to have you See ya. Scott Reed, always with uh, on-target analysis and a considerable amount of moxie.